This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, Pete, a draw away at Norwich, purely taken out of context, would be a very good result. I mean, if you'd said before a ball had been kicked this season that we'd draw 1-1 at relegated Norwich, who looked to probably have the strongest squad in the championship, you'd consider you'd consider it to be a good result. Now, of course, the, the wider context of it is where we are in the table, the results we've had up to this point. And I realised that a draw was not necessarily what we wanted on on Saturday. May not necessarily have been what we deserved in the end. But all told, I think after what was a hugely negative display against Birmingham on Wednesday, our worst of the season by a long, long distance and one that Bruce was quite rightly criticised for and the players were quite rightly criticised for because it was absolutely unacceptable we demanded a response. We demanded an improvement in the tactics, particularly defensively. And I think we saw pretty much everything that we asked for. And I think yet again, we sat here talking about the small margins. And again, unfortunately, and we'll come to it in a bit more depth in a bit, but those small margins seem to be a referee's whistle. And we're looking at it and, and saying, we, we've just come out ever so slightly on the wrong side of the small margins, but we've, we've played pretty well. You know, I mean, some will say where well, we were negative. Well, that's game state for you. You take, you take the lead in a game after nine minutes and you are not going to be gung ho. You're not going to dominate possession and you're not going to throw everything at the opposition. But I think generally speaking, we played pretty well at Norwich. And I think if we weren't, 21st in the table if we weren't one win from 10 I think we'd all be sitting here and saying what a good performance yeah that's the thing if you just take it out of context for and look at it just as a an away game against Norwich City who got relegated last season and you you took a 1-1 draw I think the majority of fans would be happy I think Albion fans have reason to be disappointed that it was 1-1 
with some of the refereeing decisions, but I mean, there's nothing we can do about that. And then when you look at it with the context of the how the rest of the season's gone so far, then again, you you're probably a bit disappointed because we do need need to start getting some points on the board. You know, we've got we've had far too many draws um, and not picked up enough wins. So I think going into that game, most Albion fans were hoping for or desperate for three points and and an improved performance, which I'd say the the performance improved, but again, we missed out on the three points and and we've just got another draw to to add to the list. Yeah, and that of course that's the frustration, Pete. But as you say, it's and I, I don't like I generally don't like talking about referees because I think it's a cop out. Uh, I think I, I think to moan about refereeing decisions on a weekly basis is is ignoring is ignoring your your team. And I, I'm not one of these that subscribes to it evens itself out over the course of a season because. That's ridiculous to say, because if you if you say, for example, you look at the Huddersfield penalty that we didn't get and then you look at the one we did get against Birmingham City. Well, it's not really an evening itself out, because if we get the one against Huddersfield, it's three extra points. And if we don't get the one against Birmingham, it makes no difference to our points tally. You could say the decisions have evened themselves out. But the reality of the situation is that um, is, is that the, the, the advantage to what we've actually gained in the season hasn't evened itself up. But nonetheless, I think there's an element where you, you as a team should be better than to rely on referees to make those marginal calls. And the, 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 the reality for me is that Huddersfield away, we shouldn't be going 2-0 down in the game in the first place. So whilst the referee has made an appalling call and we should get a penalty and we should win that game, nonetheless, we still only have ourselves to blame for even putting ourselves in the situation of being 2-0 down in the game in the first place. However, on Saturday, Norwich City away is always going to be a marginal game because it's whatever anybody thinks of our league position and uh, and and what we've done so far this season we are one of the better teams in this division i think we have performed our performances have shown us as one of the better teams in this division even if our results haven't and we've gone to norwich and we have we have more than matched them over the course of the game neither team I, I i expected to blow the other one away in any way shape or form so it's always going to come down to marginal games and for the referee to get that decision so wrong I mean, I've not seen a conclusive angle to show whether or not it's offside, but it's certainly blooming close. I do blame John Swift a little bit for not... He's he's being very naive having a wrestling match with Grant Hanley in the six-yard box. He's got to get out. But at the same time, it definitely, definitely hits Byram's hand as it comes out. And you've got to... I mean, Pete, it's getting to a point where I do start to feel like the world is against us a little bit because you look at... Burnley button gets a hand to the ball as uh, as um, as Teller goes through. Maybe doesn't need to be given as a penalty. Huddersfield is a stone wall. Yesterday that could be an offside and a handball, let alone one or the other. And it is it's it's a little bit difficult to not feel sorry for yourself, isn't it? Yeah, I mean their goal. I personally, from the angles I've seen, it looked offside to me. Definitely handball and. It's just another one of those that seems to have gone against us. Um, but like I say, there's there's not really anything you can do with them. You, yeah, I mean, like you say, you kind of start to feel sorry for yourself because what can you do when there's a referee mistake like that? I mean, obviously, they're not trying to make a mistake and not trying to be biased or anything, but it just seems to be going against us at the minute, which 
which never helps matters when we're, we're struggling to pick up points, well, struggling to pick up wins. Anyway, because um, I, I don't think I don't think anyone would have argued to say that. I think a draw was probably a reasonably fair result from the end of the game. But I mean, I don't think it would have been unfair if we held on to the to the one 0 lead and and taken three points come the end of the game. No, but also fairness has nothing to do with it, really, does it? I mean, because because in the end, it's about sticking the ball in the back of the uh, in the back of the net, and we've actually nullified them quite well in that sense. And uh, and. And, and you know we've we've scored. They've made a mistake at their end. So you know we've 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 scored a perfectly good goal, and they haven't. Yeah, and it was nice to actually get an early goal and and take the lead for once. Um, and it kind of meant that we could nullify them a bit easier without taking too many risks and and getting caught out defensively. Um, it seems that this season we've seemed to always go behind and and kind of have to fight back, which always leaves us a bit more open defensively because we have to take a few more risks um so it was nice to get that that early goal and and score well from Albion's perspective a a good goal a great ball in from Swift and a and a good header from O'Shea um yeah yeah I mean we we said off air didn't we that it was a bit like um the the Albion we're bad at defending Norwich hold my beer yeah I mean if you're looking at it from a Norwich perspective then it's yeah it's dreadful you're leaving probably Albion's biggest aerial threat on a set piece, you're leaving him unmarked and with a completely free run and just attacking a completely open space as well. I mean, I shaken a wish for a, an easier chance. But, you know, it's he put it away and it was, as I say, from Albion's perspective, a, a good goal. But, yeah, shocking from Norwich. I mean, I have to say, when when we when we talk about small margins, by the way, we're not making excuses for Bruce here um, because Pete and I would happily recognise that Games against Cardiff at home, who have you know just just sacked their manager based on poor performance, and um, Wigan away, we shouldn't be going. Uh, we, we should we should be good enough to beat these teams without small margins. We should be beating these teams comfortably. And Huddersfield away, we shouldn't be relying on small margins. We shouldn't be going two nil down in a game. And if we don't go two nil down in in that game, we have plenty of attacking threat to go and uh, to go and see them off. So. You know, we, we're well aware that, it, and, and Birmingham at home was just a dreadful performance. So we're well aware that there are certain games where Bruce has to has to perform better himself as a coach to set us up better, and has to get the team performing better to the point where our strength as a group comes through in the performance and the result. And we don't rely on the small margins because if you rely on the small margins every week, they will go against you. That being said, it does feel like every small margin that could go against Steve Bruce has gone against Steve Bruce. And it's not just small margins in games. It's small margins in the table. Pete and I were just chatting off air and we, we were sort of saying, hey, you look at yesterday and if, 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 the, if the handball doesn't go in, the, if that's not given, then that's two more points. And if the, if the Huddersfield penalty is given, that's another two more points. Now, that's just two very, very obvious refereeing decisions going correctly. And we are four points better off in the table. You add four points to our tally, we're 10th and we're above Watford. And nobody, and I'm telling you now, nobody is worrying about West Bromwich Albion if those if if we are four points better off and those two decisions are made correctly and we've beat Huddersfield and and Norwich. Now 
I'm not saying that everybody is singing from the hilltops and saying that that life is hunky dory because they're not. They will still be saying, "Well, we might be tenth in the league, but it's a bit worrying that we didn't beat Cardiff, that we that we didn't beat Wigan, that we were so bad against Birmingham City." And that's right. It seems to it seems to be very black and white at the moment, Pete. That either Steve Bruce is totally and utterly tactically inept and he has no clue he's doing nothing on the training ground and he shouldn't he shouldn't be anywhere near a football team or Steve Bruce is the most unlucky man on the planet and the 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 truth unsurprisingly as it is with the vast majority of things in this world is somewhere in the middle of the two because Steve Bruce is, has been unlucky but he's not unlucky every week and there are games which we haven't won that we should have won. And there are games where Steve, Steve Bruce needs to set the team up better. On the other on the other side of the coin, there are games where you've got to say, how on earth have we not won that? Watford at home, Burnley at home. How do we not get that penalty against Huddersfield? How is that goal given against us yesterday? And you look at it and you say, if we were four, five, six points better off, then nobody would blink an eye. I would, uh, but if we were four, five, six points better off, I would still be saying there are things that Steve Bruce needs to improve upon, and that's where I am with this, Pete. I don't know where you stand on this, but where I where I'm at at the moment is this is a work in progress, and Bruce is still getting stuff wrong in games. But we are not the twenty first worst team in this division, not by any stretch of the imagination, and we won't be over the course of another ten games. I'm confident of that with Steve Bruce as the manager. But are we the best team in the league or are we performing to the level where I think we should be every week? No. And that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm similar. Um, definitely lies somewhere in between the two extremes. I would say that in the majority of games that I've been played this season, we've been the better, the best aside. But the issue there is that there hasn't been that many games where we've been very comfortably the better side, apart from... Off the top of my head, um, Watford at home. I think we absolutely dominated, dominated that game. Had a load of chances and really should have should have won. Um, I mean, obviously there was a penalty saved and Sars goal from the halfway line, but I think we were definitely the better side in that game. But I don't think there's many games. Probably Hull at home as well. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but there's not tons of games where we've absolutely rolled teams over and and really, really been unlucky that we've not put more chances away. I think in general we've probably been better than most of our opposition, but never really, really tons better than the opposition. So I think Bruce has been unlucky in some cases, and I think we mentioned it before that he's probably been let down a bit by his goalkeeper. He's letting in a few more, a few more shots than he should have done, and there's been a few refereeing decisions that haven't gone for us. So there's obviously an element of bad luck, just, you know, if you want to call it bad luck, then bad luck. Um but that's not the sole reason. We we do need to be better against some teams that and just kind of make it impossible for bad luck to really be the reason that we don't get three points. If we create an you know, ten easy chances a game, then even you can be the unluckiest team in the world and you're still gonna put at least one of them away and take take the three points. So I think the teams like, for example, Wigan, we didn't really it wasn't a great performance, but in games like that and even Huddersfield, we need to we need to be better and just not leave it to to chance and really kind of 
It's the two ends of the pitch, though, isn't it, Pete? Because it's interesting you've picked out two games there where the problems were the opposite ends of the pitch for me. Because the Wigan game was an issue with having an attacking threat. And to be honest, if they don't absolutely give the ball to Carl and Grant in the middle of the pitch with the most ludicrous square ball you're ever going to see then we probably go away with that from that with a defeat. Whereas the, at the other end, it, against, against Huddersfield and Birmingham being another example, the issue is defensively and the, the way that we're actually dealing with the threat against us. And bringing the conversation back to Norwich, what I, what I thought was interesting was that um, the game against Norwich on Saturday, Bruce set us up to look so solid. And that's the first time that I've really been able to say that about us this season. And are we are we seeing Bruce trying to basically maybe take those marginal situations out of games by he knows he can't overly control the one at the top end of the field at the moment because until he's got DK back, until he's got Rogic back, uh, Rogic fit. He hasn't got a lot of options to change it up at the front end of the pitch. He obviously did a little bit. He brought Brandon Thomas Asante in for for Carl and Grant. But to be honest, pinning all your hopes on a guy who up until a few weeks ago had only ever played League Two football would be unfair. But what he can control is the defence and he can control reducing the threat against. And he's failed to do that in in the vast majority of games so far this season. I thought we saw a sea change a little bit against Norwich where out of possession, it was a bank and a four and a bank of five against them. And I thought we looked for the vast majority of the game against probably one of the best attacking sides in the division, certainly one of the ones with the most threat to them. I thought we looked rock solid and that was backed up in the numbers. The two players who completed 90 minutes, who had the least touches in the whole game were Timu Puki and Josh Sargent. We did not let them get the ball to their forwards. And I think I wonder whether it's not just a plan for Norwich, but it's a plan for Bruce moving further on that he is trying to control what he can control and reduce the the margins by making us a little bit more solid defensively. What do you think? I think that's true for the Norwich game. But then the question is, was he able to make us more solid defensively because we'd got that early goal and we knew we didn't have to take as many risks to try and get a goal because, well, we've already got a goal so we can be a bit more reserved in our attacking. The fullbacks don't have to push as high. Perhaps, but just to, just to sorry, Pete, just to caveat that, what I would say is with Brandon Thomas Asante up there, he's won four times as many aerial duels in that game as Grant normally does. And we were able to go a little bit more direct, which probably reduces the need for our fullbacks on both sides to be flying forward, doesn't it? Yeah, um, if he can hold it up and bring players into play after he's won the the aerial jewels and yeah, it probably gives the the fullbacks a little bit less need to be so high. Um, but then again, I wonder if that was anything to do with Townsend playing in centre back because usually he's one of our key players for passing the ball forwards, and it's very it's very different if he's doing that from left back to then be able to move into centre back and do it in the same way because he's you know it's completely different angles. He's got completely different types of passes on um, in left back. He'll, he'll know what he can. He knows if he receives the ball there, what he can do. He can either play it straight down the line, play it inside. If you move into centre-back, you've got different options. So it's probably not as easy for him. So I wonder if if Bruce decided to be a bit more direct because he wanted to get 
Eric Peters in and, and Townsend in centre-back. So we didn't have to play out from the back line as much. And maybe that's another reason for bringing Thomas Zanti in because he knew that he'd be a target to hit if we were trying to play more direct. So I think it, it kind of worked yesterday. Um, I thought Townsend was outstanding, by the way. Yeah, it was interesting because he, he definitely moved into centre-back against Birmingham when Peters came on, which... Well, he's done it a few times, hasn't he? Because, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, but I think he played there against Reading last season when we had that absolute mad injury crisis at the at the back. I know he did play there a few times, um, but that obviously in a back three, because Re- we'd sometimes have reach to wing back in towns and drop as the left centre-back, which um, I thought he played that role well under, under Ishmael. But yeah, that's, I mean, it's it's very different playing as a cent- like the left centre-back in a back three to just being part of a two, so well, especially when Y Scout says you're five foot six. <laughs> yeah, which he, uh, he definitely isn't, is he? <laughs> Sorry, this is a bit of an in joke because uh, because basically P- Pete and I have been looking at the data on uh, on um, uh, on Connor Townsend, and all of it says his height is five foot six. I m- one of my friends is one of the people who was a big part of his signing, and um, I text him saying, is Connor Townsend really five foot six? And the response was, absolutely no way. He's he's five nine, five ten. So I think Connor needs to have a word with whoever writes the data on him because it's got him three or four inches shorter than what he actually is. Yeah, it would have been uh, similar to Lissandro Martinez from Man United if he was, uh, if he was playing centre-back and being that short. But I think, you know, he's it's not a... An absolutely massive factor in in playing at centre back. Obviously, height helps you with winning aerial duels, but uh, yeah, well, it depends who you're playing, 10. doesn't it? I mean, I can't, I can't see Connor playing in there against Millwall, for example. No, probably not. But yeah, I mean, if he's solid defensively, then and he's generally not too bad in the air anyway. So, um, and as I say, good on the ball as well. So he gives us maybe a bit more composure back there. Um, and I mean, obviously, it's definitely helping because. We do seem to be short of centre-backs at the minute now that Bartley's apparently picked up an injury. Um, you know, believe what you will about that. But Yeah, it's, it's funny that how you feel, feel your hamstring after the fans have booed you, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, it, it was probably, whether it was an injury or, or what, it's probably best that he was left out. And... Well, look, yeah, either way, you can't see him playing a lot in the coming weeks, can you? Because it's, uh, particularly at home, it's it's just too, it's too toxic for him. Yeah, and I mean, it's not going to help him. It's not going to help the team. Um, and it's probably just going to rile the fans up, to be honest. So I'd say it's it's in everyone's interest for him to, to not be involved for the next couple of weeks after the international break, of course. But um with Townsend being able to slot in there relatively comfortably, um, and Eric Peters having a another decent performance, then at least it give, gives us options until Ajayi gets back fit. Um, I like and, him, by the way, Pete Peters. Yeah, he um, against Birmingham, he was he came on, kind of moved the ball forward really well, and again looked looked decent on the ball against Norwich. I, did, I was surprised when we first signed him. I didn't I didn't expect him to be particularly composed or, or good on, on the ball and being able to pass it. But 
Um, I guess well, it's in, but it's interesting what Elliot said that I mean, uh, uh, and I saw a few a few tweets about uh, Elliot's use of the word st- uh, Stoke Alona, um, which got some stick in some quarters. <laughs> I wasn't overly surprised at that. But Elliot did make an interesting point that it's very easy to brand Stoke as Stoke. A lot of uh, Peter's games at left back for Stoke in the Premier League actually came in a period where they were signing a lot of players from uh, from from top European clubs like your Shakiris, like your Afalais. Um, the the name of the ex Barcelona centre half they signed escapes me, but they weren't Tony Pulis Stoke a lot of the time when Peters was playing fullback for them, and and I, th- I think we probably brand the guy as an ex-Stoke left-back without actually probably looking at the way Mark Hughes' Stoke was playing most weeks. Yeah, and Elliot said that he was actually quite attacking in in periods and threatening in the final third, which, yeah, without... I mean, I've never really kept an eye on Eric Peters' style of play or anything, but I suppose it's just the stereotype, I guess, from being a, a Stoke defender and Burnley as well, I guess, that that they wouldn't be particularly good on the ball, wouldn't be attacking, would just be kind of a defensive fullback. But he seems to be be a decent option to give us what we need going forward as well from from that position and um, a solid defensively as well. I think that there was there was a lot of positives for us um, against against Norwich in a defensive sense, Pete. And I just, you know, just want to comment on a, on a couple of others. Connor Townsend, we've we've touched on. I thought he was he was superb at centre half. Now, whether that's a long term solution or not, I'm not sure. I, I've got to give I've got to give a nod to the interception that he made. I think it was Sam Byron was about to turn and score right towards the end. It is one of the most unbelievable challenges I have seen at that level. And the timing of it is just is just incredible. Um, we, we've made a couple of goal-saving challenges. You know, a quick nod to Taylor Gardner-Hickman's on to Heath Chong on, on Wednesday night as well. And that one from Townsend was right up there with it. I know Townsend gets some stick in in some quarters. I think largely because he's not a marauding left back. I'm not against the continuation of of Townsend at left back and Peters. Uh, sorry, Townsend at left side is centre half and Peters at left back. Depending on who we're playing, uh, certainly against somebody like Swansea next week, who are not going to be a massive aerial threat. Um, sorry, in two weeks' time. And also the other the other change that he made into the defence was Furlong back in for Taylor Gardner Hickman, and I think there's there's a bit of sort of fifty fifty about this one. I uh, you look at Furlong's average position in that game, and it's so much deeper than than where Taylor would normally play. Now I realise game state comes into comes into that, and that we were defending for the majority of the game, and uh, and that might be part of it. But actually, you look at um, Furlong's average position most weeks, and it's deeper than where Taylor would play. I think we're, we're so much more defensively solid with Furlong in there ahead of Taylor Gardner Hickman. And I have to say, Pete, whilst Semi Ajayi is out injured, I personally think that unless it's a game where we really don't think the opposition are going to offer much threat at all, I think uh, Taylor is probably better utilised off the bench as an option if we do need a goal later on in the game rather than from the start. Because from the start, we could find that we could find ourselves in a situation like we did against Birmingham, where too many balls get popped in behind into that in, into our right channel. And 
we get exposed. And I don't think that's as likely to happen with Furlong in the side. I quite like the makeup of uh, of that back four. Um, it lacks a little bit of height with Townsend in there ahead of the likes of obviously Ajay and Bartley are both injured, but ahead of those kinds of players, you've only really got O'Shea who's tall. And then obviously Furlong is very, very good in the air and has great spring, but I do like the makeup of it. And I think there's a lot of players. There's probably only really O'Shea in there that isn't particularly good on the ball. Yeah. But saying that O'Shea has, he's impressed me this season with his distribution. He seems to yeah, be it's fair point. Sorry. seems to be pretty good with his passing and, and carrying it out as well. So, but yeah, with Furlong at the start of the season, he was getting quite high and playing quite close to, to Jed Wallace. And, um, and obviously Taylor Gardner Hickman does that as well. And he's, very willing to to get forward, so it seemed like Bruce probably brought in Furlong because he is a bit more solid defensively, and probably told him to to sit a bit deeper than he had been doing at the start of the season, not not push so far forward on attacks, just to stop that big space being left in behind that teams would try to exploit. But Ajaya would usually be sweeping up down down our right channel, um, you know, with Furlong sitting in a bit deeper, that space isn't opened up as much and and we don't rely on having a centre-back that's very quick and and good in those one-on-one duels to kind of sweep up and and stop the danger from those long balls over the top into that space. So we kind of tried to reduce that space and stop that from happening, which for me is why why Furlong was brought in and why he was sitting a bit deeper than he usually would. And it does seem that at least for the the time whilst Ajay is out injured, it seems to be that 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 looks to be the probably the best way to to set up that back four. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought I thought the other thing that was interesting about the way Bruce set us up in this game, and uh, you know, as I say, I keep coming back to um, the, the the fact that I have to caveat everything that I say about the Norwich game with game state plays a big part. You take the lead in a game after nine minutes, and you're going to play a certain way. But nonetheless, I think that. It showed that Bruce, people have criticised Bruce in, uh, in recent weeks and said, what's he doing on the training ground? What are we actually doing? What's our, what's our style of play? What's his, what's his way? I don't understand what we're trying to do. I, I, don't, I, I never agreed necessarily with all of that, but I think what Bruce showed against Norwich is that, first of all, he is clearly doing work on the training ground, but also... He he probably countered something that was levelled at Valerian Ishmael. I always hated the use of the words Plan B, but the 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 reality was that Valerian Ishmael only ever set a team up in one way. You know, he might do tweaks here and there, um, and he did tweak it from time to time. But you know, the shape was very much as it was. Um, that it it was you knew what we you were going to get from an Albion team under Valerian Ishmael. I think what Bruce has showed us against Norwich is that there is a variety in the way that he can set his teams up. I thought that the way we set up against Norwich was very, very different to the way we've set up in the past. What I quite liked as well is that there was an element of horses for courses in there that he's brought Livermore into that midfield. And I think, I think it, Yukoslu desperately needed a break. Um, it, I think we've seen. Okay, Yukoslu's performances go from absolutely sublime at the start of the season to 
deteriorating gradually and gradually. And I thought he was awful against Birmingham on Wednesday night. And I think it's it, it, it's good that he gets a few weeks to recover with the international break. And he brought Livermore in, but he didn't ask Livermore to do what Yukoslu does. He asked Livermore to do what Livermore uh, was good at. And let's be honest about this, whether you like Jake Livermore or whether you don't, it's hard to argue that he was one of the best players on the pitch on Saturday. I thought he was superb. And he did what Jake Livermore does. And he broke things up and, uh, and, uh, and Bruce used him in a way that made sense. Equally, he put Brandon Thomas Asante up front and he realised that there wasn't a lot of point in putting balls into Brandon Thomas Asante's feet because, again, it's not about who's better him or Grant. It's about differences of approach. Grant is very technically good as a a forward. He's practically a midfielder. He's, he's, well, he's a winger. He's a winger. That's what he is. And it's no surprise that technically Grant is excellent with the ball into his feet. He's at, his distribution is decent. He plays a good, uh, a good number of uh, key and, um, and, and passes that are progressive. And Brandon Thomas Asante doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He's not got that level of technical ability, probably because the blokes played non-league and and league two, where you wouldn't be asked to do that. So he's not used to it. It'll come with time. I I see signs that he can do that. But at the moment, is is he anywhere near Grant's level when it comes to doing that? No, absolutely not. But is Grant anywhere near Brandon Thomas Asante's level when it comes to physicality? Absolutely not. And he gives you a completely different option. But the great thing is Bruce changed the way we play. And he said, don't drill the ball into his feet. Don't give it him where he's got to take a touch turn or that he's like he's picking it up, facing up the defender in, in channels. No, let's let's use his physicality. Let's use his aerial threat. Let's give it him in behind where he can he can have a bit of a battle with the defender running onto it. Let's give him balls that he can try and win in the air. And I thought Steve Bruce, he gets labelled a dinosaur. He gets labelled tactically inept. I think people who who say those things about Steve Bruce are lazily adhering to a narrative that I don't think is reflective of of the reality. I think Steve Bruce doesn't last this long in the game if he is a total tactical dinosaur. And I think what he showed on Saturday is that he he has a variety of ways in which he can set a West Bromwich Albion team up, even with a very small squad. Yeah, and that's obviously important because you can't set up the team for the same in every game because otherwise you're kind of disregarding the opposition and their their strengths and their weaknesses. If you you know if you know you're coming against a coming up against a defence that is poor in the air, then obviously you want someone that's more physical and it's going to give them a battle in the air and try and exploit those weaknesses, whatever they are. Um, so it's important that there's a bit of flexibility in the approach and Bruce did show that against Norwich. So that's a promising sign. Um, we just need to make sure that the performances are are still there and that we can take advantage of any weaknesses and, and try and minimise the, the strengths of the opposition. So it's important that even if you are flexible, that you still put in a good performance and, and deserve to get the points for the, get the three points. Um, I'd say that we did put in a good performance and it was against Norwich City away from home. So it was never going to be an easy game. We were never going to go there and, and, you know, beat them really comfortably, you know, beat them by three or four goals. So I'd say it was a good performance and it showed, showed that adaptability, um, which is, as I say, important. And 
and it should I mean it's promising for for games in the future because we know that we're not we're not just set in in one way we're gonna were you getting worried about that that Bruce basically had an 11 and if those 11 weren't weren't available we had a real problem because I was starting to worry that we were we were deeply deeply predictable and uh, and I, I really hope this is a sign for the future that Steve Bruce is going to utilize his squad he's going to he's going to rotate players in and out because otherwise what we will see is what we've seen from OK Yokoslu in in the last couple of weeks and that's burnout yeah i mean the issue there is that there isn't too much of a squad so it's difficult to to rotate when maybe the options that you the backup options you have aren't even close to the quality of the players that you've got in the your ideal 11 um i think yeah but is is that really now that we've got a few in and we've got a few coming back from injury is that really only true of probably definitely jed wallace Probably Grady, although again you could switch Grady and uh, and, and Grant. I, w- I wouldn't want to see like all of these uh, all of these players out at the same time, obviously. But have we have we now got at least some viable alternatives to most players who aren't called Jed Wallace? Yeah, probably. Um, as you say, you don't want them all out at the same time, um, but you can probably afford to to rest uh, different players in different games. But I think it's important as well that you're not just Simply asking a player to come in and play exactly the same as the person that they're replacing because each player will have their strengths and, and their weaknesses and it's important to be able to adapt your style to the players that you've actually got on the pitch rather than just, you know, round pegs for square holes and all that. So obviously, if you've got Adam Reach coming on, you're not going to want him to play exactly like Grady Diangana is. You're not going to want him to be able to take on two men at a time and, and kind of do that. You want to use more of his crossing and and um and his work rate and and his passing on the ball rather than just taking men on so it's important to be able to adapt the style of the halt and adapt to those changes rather than just putting players on and asking them to do exactly the same as what the the player they're replacing is i think thomas asante replacing grant is a is a good example of that we adapted it to to play a bit longer a bit more direct rather than playing straight into his feet as we would usually with grant yeah, and as you say, that comes that comes back to the coach. And it is also worth saying that whilst we say that the options are a bit more a bit more there, this is still a tiny, very very thin squad, and we still probably are like a couple of injuries away from from an absolute crisis in this squad and having to pick the same eleven week in week out. But whilst when 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 we get the likes of Rogic, Kelly was obviously on the bench um, the, the, on Saturday. I don't know how fit he was. Whether whether if we'd had to call upon him, whether that would have been, you know, cold sweats for Steve Bruce as he sent out a player who he probably knew wasn't fit enough. I don't know. Um, but and then and then you look at it and you say after the international break, DK is going to be somewhere near. You know, if we've basically got everybody back who isn't. Um, isn't Shemi Ajayi after the international break, then I think we've got decent options. The the problem is, Pete, that, you know, as we've said all along, we are a mini injury crisis and a mini injury crisis for us, I would say is probably four, isn't it? Um, away, uh, and bearing in mind, we're, we're now going into a run of eight games between the 1st of October and the 1st of November. We're probably four injuries away from from an absolute crisis or four injuries and suspensions. And when you're playing that many games in such a close proximity, Bruce is really going to have to manage 
this squad so that he he rotates in order to not get injuries because I think if he tries to flog two games a week out of players for four weeks, we're, we're going to go into November with no players left. And I want to see what a crisis looks like when we're already sat in 20th, so that's the worry. Um, but 21st. You know, 21st, sorry, even better. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've said it since the transfer window shut, the, the squad's very thin. We made a couple of additions, obviously, the free transfers, our contract players, which on the whole have looked like promising signings, but even with them, we're, we're still pretty thin as a squad and, and a few injuries could really um, derail our season further, which obviously no one wants to happen. Um, and we've suffered some pretty, we've suffered some injuries to some pretty vital players already. I mean, I think having DK for, if he was fit for the whole season so far, then I think we'd have scored a few more goals as a team and probably had some better performances. Obviously, Ajay makes, Ajay's a, a massive loss. He makes a huge difference back there. And it allows the fullback to to push further forward, knowing that he's got that pace to cover him behind. Um, so, you know, we've already suffered some big injuries, but luckily we've not had too many at the same time just yet. So, But if that does come in a very busy period, then, then um, well, we're going to struggle because we've not got the depth in the squad to, to replace too many players if they get injured, especially not with the same level of quality. So some planning to be done by Bruce in the sports science team and the fitness coaches and whoever to to get the best out of the players without putting too much risk. That yeah, it's almost going to be like a chess game, isn't it? He's almost going to have to plan two or three games ahead that you're going to play this one, but you're going to play that one and you're going to play this one. Yeah, and I think he will have to have that kind of plan. But then obviously, you know, take each game as it comes and because you, you never know how someone might pick up a tiny knock that, puts them out of the next game and then you've got to rejig your plan and maybe you've got to rejig your plan for the next two or three games as well because you've got someone playing who wasn't in the original plan. So, you know, it's not going to be easy for him. And obviously the um, the medical staff and sports science are going to have to keep a close eye on how each player is, you know, what condition they're kind of in and, and whether they can play the next game or how long of the next game can they play without it being a big risk that they're going to suffer an injury. And yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work to be done, but we're not the only club in the division that that's got that work to do. So, I mean, some teams will obviously be blessed with um, squads with more depth, so that it's not such a big headache. But you know, everyone's going to have a similar, if not the same, number of games in that period. So it's it's work for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it, it it's just this is where when when you've heard us sort of like howling a little bit about the size of the squad. I'd always got my eye on this 1st of October to 1st of November run, Pete, and just thinking, oh my God. I mean, that is eight games in four weeks is going to define our season, first of all. And second of all, that is that that is where that is where this squad is really, really going to get tested. And it is it's a freak occurrence. It's only it's only in there because the World Cup. This if there was ever a season when you needed greater numbers in in the squad, this is it. And and I think this is this is where we've where we've let ourselves down. And where when you start seeing us you know, really worrying about us letting out players that probably most Albion fans would look at and go, yeah, he's not going to play a lot of minutes. Yeah, wait till, wait till that four-week period. Wait till that 1st of October to 1st of November and we're playing, we're playing eight games in that period. You'll start seeing names on, uh, appear on team sheets that you just like, 
I'd almost forgotten he existed. You know, the, the, I, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure King Kenny Zahor will get a, get a cheeky um, spell warming up the bench at some point in that. I'm sure there will be some point in that run where the, there's there's probably somebody gets plucked from the academy um, to have to come and sit on the bench as well. I think it's going to be a real, real test of our squad and, it is a period where we need to get some results and Bruce is going to have to be very intelligent with the way he rotates his players, rotates his squad and make sure that, um, that that he uses the right players in the right games because it is going to be a horses for courses approach. You can't just turn out what we think is our best 11 every week. It's going to be one of those where oh, we're playing, you know, Sheffield United this week. I actually haven't looked at what the eight games are, so I don't know whether Sheffield are one of them. But, um, you know, we're playing one of the teams up at the top who we would expect to have a lot of the ball. So it's Livermore into midfield this uh, this this week because we think we're going to we're going to defend more it's furlong at fullback we're probably going to have to go a bit more direct so it's thomas asante up front but then it's a game where we expect to have a lot more of the possession so maybe it's grant up front because we're going we're going into feet a bit more we're not worried about balls in behind because that's not what this team do let's put taylor in for this one at, at right back let's go with a midfield two of perhaps dropping swift into the eight putting rogic in the 10 um and having Colombians alongside him and resting Livermore and Yukoslu. And I think there's going to have to be a lot of that over that eight-week period. Um, Just on that eight-week period as well, Pete, I think at time of recording, we're recording on Sunday afternoon, that Bruce has not been dismissed from his position he there is no signs that he will be dismissed from from his position. I saw Chris Lipkowski tweet that he had a source that said unless results got really, really, really bad, there was absolutely no way Albion were even thinking about dismissing Bruce this side of the World Cup. So the suggestion is that he will still be our manager when we start that run of games on the 1st of October. And I, would, would you agree with me that for me now, if you were if you were, had any intention of getting rid of Bruce, that uh, unless we get rid of him between now and the 1st of October, that ship has sailed because I just don't see that you can dismiss a manager during a run of eight games in four weeks because the new man would have absolutely no chance of being able to work with the squad and uh, and actually do anything. I think unless we lost like the first four of those eight games. I just don't see any way that Bruce, it gets dismissed, it gets dismissed probably this side of the world cup now. Yeah. I mean, if we, if he was going to get sacked, then now's the time to do it um, during the international break and preferably early in the international break, because it would give the new manager some time to, to at least get to know the squad, work with the squad, implement some of his ideas, but it doesn't seem to be, that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like Bruce will be still be in the job, and yeah, like you say, you can't sack him in a period of games that, that that's that congested because, as you say, the, the new managers wouldn't have any time on the training ground, and like we said before, it's going to be a juggling act of keeping players fit and and available for games. Um, so, and it's going to be planning in blocks of games, isn't it? And you know, if Bruce has a plan for a block of games, if you sack him midway through that block of games, it could be disastrous. Absolutely, because you know the new manager would come in and he'd have to form another plan, and it's just it'd be an extremely chaotic period to bring in um, a new manager. And I mean, we mentioned it earlier that uh, Morrison from Cardiff's just been sacked, and 
I guess that probably comes down to what we just mentioned that now is the time to to sack your manager if you are going to sack, be looking to sack your manager in the next um, month or two. So I guess they've kind of acted early um, so that the new manager can come in and probably have an impact on that team. But although I have to say, I mean, him him going as opposed to Bruce, people will say, well, they're, they're above us in the league. So why, you know, they're getting rid of their manager and we're not don't understand that. First of all, I think we've performed better than them, but also they brought in 17 new players this summer alone that, you know, that's at least the new manager is going to have a reasonably sized squad to work with. I, I think one of the big problems I have with getting rid of Bruce is that they would still have to work with the same small group of players. I'm not sure anybody could change it that markedly from what Bruce is doing. And then it'd be a similar situation to what we've seen so many times before is that a new manager comes in after, what, maybe, you know, six, nine months after the previous manager just had their their transfer window to make their mark on the squad. So you'd have a new manager coming in with players that Bruce wanted and maybe the new manager doesn't want them. And that's, you know, I mean, we saw it, we said it at the time about Ishmael when he got sacked that he'd just been allowed to bring in his players and maybe the next manager's not going to want them. And I think that's kind of been shown, especially with Ishmael's captain, which was Alex Mo, obviously. And, you know, he's been loaned out. Clearly, Bruce didn't fancy him. Um, and you just think that we'd probably, in the long run, we've, we've wasted money there bringing him in to just loan him out. And um, I think he'll have, one year left on his deal come the end of the season. So whether we're actually going to be able to make any money there or, or what, it just seems to be a, a waste. And again, it's just, it would be that lack of planning that you sign these players that Bruce wants and, and then you get rid of him, what, two months later to for the next manager to then say, oh no, I don't want these players. Um, and also, I've- there doesn't seem to be anybody at the Albion in, uh, who would be making these kind of decisions who understands things like continuity and making sure that they bring in a manager who has a similar style of play. I mean, we, we, we've our hiring policy over the last couple of years has gone Billich, you know, nice passing football, to Allardyce, largely based on on defence and a little bit more. Uh, uh, much more direct. His style of play was never going to work with Billich players into uh, Val taking over with largely a Billich squad trying to play a Valerian Ishmael way was never going to work. And then you give Valerian Ishmael a bit of time to bring in his players and bring in Bruce who wants to play completely differently. There doesn't seem to... I just... uh, That's my other problem with getting rid of the manager. I wouldn't trust the people who are doing the hiring, would you? No, absolutely not. And the other factor that is, I don't know how many... Well, I don't know any managers that are actually available that would probably be an upgrade. I mentioned um, Sean Dyche before, but I think that's very unlikely that we'll be able to bring him in. He wouldn't touch you with a 60-foot pole, mate. I think I think if he was interested in a championship job, he would have ended up going to Stoke with all their resources. I, th- I, 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 have, I don't believe for one second Alex Neal was 100% their first choice. I think the first phone call was into, into Sean Dyche and it was like, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I mean, if I was him, I wouldn't be going to a championship club because I very much think he will get an offer from a Premier League club at some point. So I'd much rather just wait it out for that, especially not join a club that seems to be in such a mess that, that we are. He definitely appears to be a, a switched-on bloke and I think he'd understand the situation and, and yeah, just avoid it, to be honest. Um, and I can't blame him for that. So I don't really know who we would actually be able to attract that would, would improve us and... I mean, obviously, it can't be the the sole factor for not 
sacking Bruce that there's not an obvious replacement, but you've got to consider it. You've got to have a plan in place that if you are going to sack someone, then you've got to have, you know, at least a shortlist saying of managers that you want to speak to and that are realistic. I mean, there's no point sacking your current manager just because they're not performing well, but then having no clue where you go from there. Well, in Lai's entire reign, Pete, uh, and uh, Chris Lepkowski quoted a really interesting stat to me the other day that in we have sacked five managers mid-season in the last five years. Now, two of them were in the same mid-season, Pulis and Pardew. So that's, uh, that's basically four of the last five mid-seasons We've sacked the manager. The only one we have, uh, the only one we've gone through a complete season with the same manager is Slavin Bilic's promotion season. And any of those times, sacking the manager has sacking the manager led to a marked enough improvement where we have actually achieved something. We still went down under Pardew and Moore. We finished in the playoffs under Jimmy Shan, the same as we did under, under Darren Moore. I'm not knocking the jobs of any of these people, by the way. Moro did brilliant at the end of the, the season, the Pulis Pardew season. Jimmy did brilliant at the end of the Moore season. But the reality is we didn't, we didn't go up that year. We didn't, uh, we, uh, we didn't uh, stay up under, uh, on, under Pardew Moore. We didn't stay up under Allardyce. And we didn't get into the playoffs. In fact, we dropped from 5th to 11th under... Um, uh, when when sacking Valerian Ishmael into Bruce, sacking the manager, historically speaking, over the last five years since uh, Gauchan Lai bought our football club, it hasn't done anything for us. It hasn't improved anything, and there's absolutely no evidence to say that if we sacked Steve Bruce, that things would get any better or that we would actually achieve something. Because we probably won't. The the reality is that the problems at our football club go way beyond the manager and that the football structure needs sorting out the financial structure of the club and the, the, the overall ownership needs sorting out before any manager has a real success, a chance of success because just simply because the, 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 there's been too many times that managers have failed to do what they should do or what they want to do with our football club for it to be a coincidence anymore. Yeah, and you mentioned none of those replacements, mid-season replacements, having a um, a direct impact on finishing position. But I think you've also got to think about the actual replacements that were there. Um, and none of them are actually looked like they were really planned out, long-term vision um, and good appointments. I mean, you start with you start with Alan Pardew, and I think just the less said about that, the better, because he was absolutely awful. Well, he was, but we also painted ourselves into a corner with that one because um, the the chairman at the time, his, his, his name actually escapes me at this moment in time, came out with that awful quote that um, that we need somebody with Premier League experience and painted Nick Hammond into a into a corner where he couldn't sign. Uh, where he couldn't hire the most viable target, which at the time was Dean Smith, who was manager of Brentford. Yeah, and I mean, from Pardew to to Darren Moore. I think that was not really an appointment at the time, was it? It was just a, a um, caretaker gap. manager, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah it was a stopgap to the end of the season. Who, I mean, he came in and did fantastically, but it definitely wasn't a planned kind of, there wasn't a plan there really, was there? Um, and then he kept the job on because he did he did do well. And a similar thing happened when, when Shan came in. It was just kind of, 
um, caretaker manager till the end of the season. There wasn't a plan to. Well, it, it wasn't though, was it? It was, it, it was, it was holding the fort for for a few games. Where as we as we danced around trying to offer the job to various people, getting given the run around by Alex Neal. I mean, as as Jimmy said on this very podcast, Pete, um, it, it literally the news broke about Alex Neal's contract. Jimmy's phone started ringing next to him, um, and it and it was uh, it was Mark Jenkins asking him to take the job till the end of the season. That's how badly planned things were at that point. Yeah. So. We seem to be putting our complete hopes on getting Alex Neil. Then it's just, yeah, a lack of planning, a lack of a short short list, a lack of a vision of what you want to do. I mean, I think even when Billich was sacked, I think Allardyce, I think every Albion fan could have put a bet on that Allardyce would be the next manager. It was just the obvious, the obvious manager on the, you know, the managerial merry-go-round. Um, and I think Allardyce actually did a, a good job, but not good enough to keep us up. He and did then, once he had players in in the January. Yeah, but Steve Bruce is, was similar in that respect, that it was just another obvious appointment after Ishmael had been sacked. It's just a lack of um, creativity, a lack of planning, a lack of maybe awareness of what managers are looking promising, what you know, what managers are up-and-coming managers that look a good prospect, that you know, play a style of football that you want to play rather than just... Look at the obvious, the obvious managers out there. I mean, Pardew, Allardyce, and Bruce are hardly. I mean, no one's going to call them inspiring appointments, are they? No, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, it's it's it, it's almost sort of like trying to complete the set of the uh, of the Premier League merry, merry-go-round managers. And uh, as you say, I, I, one of one of the one the one of the arguments I have against getting rid of Bruce is that it, is that it just doesn't work. It doesn't improve anything. We we're not. We're not good at sacking and hiring managers. People keep keep quoting Forrest sacked um, Chris Hewton and brought in Steve Cooper. Please stop saying that because it's just a completely different situation. There, there was there, there was so uh, such a bigger squad at Forest that it, it was built over over a period of time. And also, there's not a Steve Cooper out there for us. And th- th- there's there's not going to be the kind of resources that Cooper had in January available to us to go and get players in. I, I just I, I just wouldn't trust us to get it right if we if we if we sack Bruce. And I haven't seen enough to suggest that Bruce is getting it wrong enough at this moment in time to dismiss him. That's kind of, uh, that, that, that's kind of where, where I'm at with, uh, with all of this. Um, but Pete, I think just to finish off very quickly, I think there's, uh, I think it's well within the realms of reality to say that we've got a massive international break coming up in terms of being able to work with the players and Swansea, I kind of feel like it's a game that's going to define our season because I think if we take three points from it with the proximity of games that we have coming up and the way that we've generally been playing this season, I don't see any reason that we couldn't go on a bit of a run, especially as we might have, may may well have Rogic available. We might have Daryl DK somewhere near available by then. We might have may well have Martin Kelly available. We may have some options in the squad. But equally, I think if we lose to Swansea or possibly even if we draw to them, I think the Hawthorns may may well turn and I think it could become a very, very difficult environment for 
And I, and I also think the players will get into a mentality of, oh dear God, when are we ever going to win a game of football? And I think it could become a very, very difficult run of eight games between the 1st of October and the 1st of November. I think I, I think Swansea is one of the most important games that we have faced in quite some time. Yeah, and we saw the impact that um, a neg- negative atmosphere at the Hawthorns can have on the players towards the end of Ishmael's reign. I think you could visibly see it taking its toll on the players. Um, they look drained, drained of energy and drained of ideas um, and confidence, which makes it very difficult difficult for them. I mean, you can't definitely can't blame the supporters for for that because no, absolutely. And let's, and let's be clear about that. We're not. We 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 have you know we completely understand that when results aren't there, fans fans are going to be frustrated. Yeah, but it just it does take its toll on the players. So it's it's just one of those situations where it's things are bad and and because of that it's making things worse almost so yeah that that first game in that period is is going to be absolutely massive to if we get a win then then it can really lift the spirit of the squad um of the supporters as, as of the Hawthorns as a whole and could give us a you know a platform to to go and get some a good amount a good return of points in that busy period which as you say could could then define the season um you know if we come because the games aren't horrendous either, are they, Pete? They, they, they're Swansea at home, Preston away, Luton at home, Reading away, who, OK, they've done well this season. But I think both you and I have sat there going, scratching our heads, going, how are Reading where, where they are? Um, you know, and, and then, OK, we get, we get into a more difficult run of, uh, run of games with Bristol City at home, Millwall away and Sheffield United at home, but I think that the the first four of those games are eminently winnable, don't you? Yeah, and like I say, we need to get that get back into the routine of winning, and then the games after that may be tougher, but you could argue that they're bigger games because of that. And if we get, we can stop stop them getting three points and definitely gain three points on them if we can get a win in those kind of games like Sheffield United. Obviously, they've started well, the season well, really also, well. It would be nice to be going to Sheffield United and Millwall and going, if we get a point here, it's a good result, rather than going away to Norwich thinking you've got to win. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that if you do get three points, then you're three points close to them in the table. So they may be more difficult, but are probably more important games in a way because they're, they're going to have a bigger impact on the table at the end of the season if we do manage to claw back some points and and be pushing for those playoff spots, but those first few games are you know we should be should be looking to get wins in in the majority of them I'd say, and if we do then then we might get a bit of momentum and it might be a, a turnaround in the season because it's important to emphasize this and we'll finish on this point um but as bad i don't well, I don't I don't want to use the word bad, but as disappointing as things have been at the start of the season with the fact that we've drawn seven out of 10 games and we are 21st in the table, we're five points off being fifth, Pete. So Yeah, I mean, we're definitely not a million miles away. If we can get some momentum in that period of fixtures and get some wins, then, you know, we're, we're probably going to be close come the, come the World Cup break. And if we're close then... Because um... that's how crazy the championship is, isn't it? I mean, Forest and Sheffield United were in the relegation zone at this time last season. Exactly. So it's 
you know, it's a very long season. And if you can get some momentum and keep that momentum going, especially with a squad as good as, well, a starting lineup as good as ours can be, then we'd, I don't think we're ever going to be too far away as long as we can just keep within that kind of distance that we're in now. Then a small run of games can easily lift us into the into the playoff positions. So, yeah, as long as we keep in touch and distance, I think a, a good period of games, which hopefully we can get in that busy period, then then we'll be back into the you know the conversation, the fight for for those important playoff spots coming the end of the season. Well, let's hope we can do that, and let's hope we can start off with a win against Swansea. That's all from us today. Uh, unsurprisingly, there won't be a podcast next week um, when, uh, obviously, there is an international break because there is no Albion to uh, to talk about. Obviously, if indeed anything were to happen in this period of time, such as Bruce getting dismissed or I don't think it's very likely that we'll that we'll sign anybody. But if we were to, then we would obviously jump on and do a pod. But failing that, Pete and I will be back after the Swansea game. And then, Pete, we've talked about how um, Bruce is going to have to manage his squad. But you and I, it's going to be intense for us as well, mate. Eight eight games in a, in a month—that's a lot of podding. We're going to be we're going to be doing so. Obviously, we'll keep it to one a week, but there's going to be a lot to talk about because we're going to going to be talking about two games at a time. Um, but we will be back after the after the Swansea game, unless of course anything big happens between now and then. But until then, thanks for listening, and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.